What is up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm joined by my old friend, Ben Rao. We did a part one back in the pandemic, and now we're ready to rumble again. Today, it was more of a catch-up. We had a good conversation yesterday on WhatsApp, and I said, Ben, please can we just record this? There is a lot of golden nuggets getting discussed here. And as always, I think Ben has offered some great um, little bombs of knowledge in this one. And I think I did as well. So I think if you're an aspiring producer or an existing producer or just interested in electronic music, you're going to find this very useful. Ben wrote an album last year. He's been touring with Hot Sense 82. So if you're not aware of who he is as an artist, get to know. We talk about why vinyl-only releases aren't that useful. We speak about Ben's current setup with his label manager, etc. We spoke about The War of Art, which is a great book by Stephen Pressfield. We spoke about influencer DJs and a whole lot more. And before we get into it, let me remind you that this podcast is sponsored by Syntho, the electronic music learning platform, which is now an app. We are doing things no one else has ever done in this music space. We're offering you tutorials, feedback, connect with other people from around the world, and all in your hand. There'll be um, a downloadable app for everyone that signs up. And this is just the start of a big project, which I believe I can change the space of how music is taught to aspiring producers and even people who are already touring. We've got artists who are, you know, world famous artists joining because they want to gain some more knowledge from the vast array of people providing content on there. So yeah, check that out. The link will be attached to this video just below. And without further ado, let's get into episode, I think it's 44 of the podcast. We're getting close to 50. Enjoy guys. All good, man. So how was the ride in today to the studio? Oh well, I'm uh, I'm on the train these days because my bike got stolen. Fucking wankers! How did that happen? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> I um, I just uh, I was actually uh, at CDV uh, Club de Visionaire, and they have like this bridge at CDV, and um, I I locked my bike there as I usually do. In it's right on the street, and when I came back, it was gone. Uh, bright bright daylight as well, so. Yeah, it's just bullying, man. It's one of those. It was an expensive bike too, so I'm pissed. <laughs> well, in Amsterdam, I was I asked someone, why has everyone got a shit bike here? And they said, if you get a good bike, it'll just get robbed straight away. Yeah, 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 they're right. I mean, um, I was going to get myself like an e-bike now because um, like, I tried them out like uh, when I was in Tulum last year, and they're really nice, basically. But I'm um, just worried. Like, you can't leave that thing outside the shop for five minutes because it's like, you know, whatever, five grand, six grand, ten grand for like a good e-bike. And people will nick that shit. You yeah, can't have anything so, uh, these days. Oh, mate. It is. Uh, well, what is the world coming to? Everything used to be better back in the old days. <laughs> Tell me no, about no, it. What, no, it wasn't. That's yeah. a lie. That's, that's a lie old people tell each other. Um, mate, I have... So much to say about parts of the discussion that we had yesterday about how underground house doesn't scale, self-defeating attitudes. Because this morning I've had, do you remember like yesterday I asked you um, uh, uh, like if you had this specific tune, which yeah. was like a vinyl only uh, thing, fr- limited to 300, no repress kind of thing. And you were like, oh, like, these are like UK lads. Like, why don't you hit them up? I hit them up. And they were like, nope, it's like vinyl only, no repress. And I was just like... Underground house doesn't scale. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, underground house doesn't scale. But it's not only that. It's like self-defeating attitudes, right? And I used to come across this so much back when I was doing vinyl only with Ink, Color, and Metal. When we first met, 
this was the thing. When we first met, it was the vinyl only thing, keep it scarce. And I remember you told me conversations about how certain DJs on a thousand records, et cetera, et cetera. But a thousand, that's not even scale. Yeah. And it's here's the thing. It's like artificial scarcity doesn't increase the value of a product, basically, right? Like if you limit yourself from the outset to say like we're only pressing 300 and that is it right you're trying to give the music more value than it actually has by creating artificial scarcity right now all you're doing is if it does if the track does take off and it and it is a hit in the underground and you sell out your 300 you're then giving away your profit to a seller on discogs who hogged himself 20 copies when you announced that it was going to be a limited run right then they, they bought 20 copies in the hope of selling them for like 30, 40, 50 quid further down the line. And you're giving your profit away to somebody else. Also, you're limiting the reach of your music because more people want it and you're not giving it to them. Like, why is that good? Like, nobody's ever explained to me why that's good. Yeah, it's just this self-defeating attitude, like in Underground House, where people go with these kind of tropes that have been long established. It's like we're pressing on 180 grams of vinyl, basically, you know, you were that um, guy. You were that guy when I met you. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yes and no, because the thing is like from the, from the outset, I always had a couple of rules, right? I was like, I always repress when we sell out. We never, we never artificially limit um, how much vinyl is out there because I didn't see the point of making somebody else, money on discogs rather than me making that money right and then also i would never offer a product that i know won't make money in the long run i remember talking to i'm not going to name any names here but somebody who'd also started a label at a similar time of mine and he's like oh yeah doing 180 grams of vinyl and blah 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 and i asked him like how much money are you making per record and he goes like what do you mean how much money am i making per record i'm like what's your profit and he goes like there is no profit Vinyl doesn't really make any profit. And I was like, who told you that? <laughs> <laughs> like, he just accepted that as fact, like that vinyl doesn't make any profit. I'm like, I know some people that make a lot of profit on vinyl. Like, for example, Chase, right? East End Dubs. Like, there's no man who's, who's mastered the vinyl game more than Chase, you know? And he's actually the one who introduced me to my distribution. And then I introduced you to the same distribution, uh, good old Marcus at uh, DJ.de. Yeah, it was like these self-defeating attitudes, you know, it's like, or like, or like taking these truths, like vinyl doesn't make any money. It's like, why, why don't you question that? Like, could it make any money if you maybe went for a slightly different product? You know, it's strange. Yeah. Yeah. I genuinely think if I had been more open to digital earlier on, I would have been, well, I would have grown quicker because we did the first few You and Me EPs, vinyl only. The music wasn't even like vinyl only sound, but it was this yeah. weird um, preconception in my mind that this somehow made it more scarce. And I was basically trying to create demand outside of the actual quality of the music. Like if a track is that good, someone's going to buy the vinyl anyway. And I think when the penny drops and you realize if someone wants the record, they're going to buy the record anyway. So you can do it on mm. vinyl and do it on digital. And all you're doing by ex um, keeping exclusive to vinyl is also encouraging the soul seeking, you know, the the share yeah. on online. And, and let's be honest, every tune gets leaked, no matter how exclusive you try and keep it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And here's the thing, you know, like, and this is when the penny dropped for me. As you know, like my labels were vinyl only for, you know, a, a number of years. 
And then I I had like a run of six vinyl number ones with Incal, like on DJ.de. And that's when I got an international career and I started to go in South America first, you know. And I arrived in South America and everybody's playing my tunes, but they weren't playing any vinyl, you know. <laughs> and they're like, I love your tunes. I've got all your music. And I just realized it's like people are going to get hold of that music no matter what. Right. And they're just going to get hold of it for other channels. You might as well make it available for every channel that's possible. Right. And let people enjoy the music how they want to enjoy it and actually give them the opportunity to, to, to pay for it legally, you know, to buy it, um, at Beatport, to stream it on Spotify. And then that's like, even then I wasn't fully convinced. I then put on my whole vinyl catalog onto Spotify, but didn't put it on Beatport because <laughs> I was still holding on to that belief that like it makes it somewhat special you know and then eventually i was just like it's all gonna go and beat port and eventually i stopped doing vinyl and i stopped doing vinyl not because i didn't like the format anymore it was just like i couldn't deal with the delays any longer you know and it, it fucking fucking up my time scales and uh my release schedules you know the delays were just killing me yeah so what's the schedule like now for your label do you have a set distance between releases well, we're trying to do a record every month, um, but that's not sometimes, sometimes it's not possible because we're trying to be high quality on the label and finding the talent, the pool of talent that is to the standard that I want is limited, basically. But, you know, I'm in a really lucky position now where literally everyone that I've approached for the label, like I've, I've hadn't, I haven't let anybody turn me down when I asked them for music. You know, and it's still mostly me approaching artists and the other way around listening to demos because you kind of know the people that are making waves and that are good and who you want on your label. And like, what's the funny thing is, it's like, and this has happened a few times is I'm like, oh, I really want to sign that person onto my label. And then I find them on Instagram, send them a message and I'll see they've sent me a message two years prior with demos for the label. Yeah. And I've missed it, basically. And I was like, I'm going to start looking at these uh, at the other folder at Instagram more because people who I rate had already approached me years prior and I hadn't, I'd missed it, basically, you know? Well, if you'd opened the message years prior, was the music ready then? Or do you think it's been a case of when you've actually finally discovered them, that's been the right time for them to come into your stratosphere? That's a very good question, actually. And I actually, my hunch is, my feeling is that like, um, and I listened to some of the demos that like were sent to me back then. Like a lot of the links were dead then by the time I actually got to them because they were like, oh, he hasn't listened. I'm going to delete that demo basically or send it somewhere else. I have a feeling that these people have come into their own and that's when you start noticing them basically. Once the music becomes really good, you know, you, you naturally rise to the top. Um, because as, as as I said, the pool of people who are really good is limited. For aspiring producers, the million dollar question I get every single day is how do I send demos to labels slash artists? What is your approach currently when seeking new talent? I do a lot of digging on Bandcamp. You know, I feel that Bandcamp has kind of almost taken over f for what the vinyl only scene used to be. I mean, Bandcamp also existed years ago when, when I did vinyl only, when you did vinyl only, but I feel now it's like, it's the home of 
of underground house and um i'll do a lot of digging on there and if i like somebody i will approach them usually myself it's more the other way around than it is me listening to demos i have some people who persistently send me demos where i'm thinking like yeah the music's good but it's not like 100 of what i'm looking for but i also encourage people if if the music's kind of decent but like it's not 100 my thing i will always say this one's not for me, but please keep sending. It is impossible to listen to everything that, that people send me, um, and I'm probably going to miss a lot. The people that make really good music, usually you already find them on other labels. You know, Usually I've already become aware of them because they've been signed. I've been playing their music already, and, um, and that's how it usually works. I play the, I play the tunes, and then you know, I'll become aware of them, and then I'll approach them. Yeah. Yeah, the Bandcamp thing is something I'm uh, prescribing now. I said the free market will be honest with you. And if you put some great tunes on, on Bandcamp, the way the algorithm works, it will get discovered. It's not like SoundCloud where SoundCloud is chronological, etc. I think the way people use Bandcamp and they go on people's collections, you dig through that, they dig through that. If you make a banger on Bandcamp, it will get heard. And I think if you if you put a few releases on there, then it's a great way then for people to pick it up. You know, the stories of like Jensen, who's part of the Me crew. Jamie Jones has been playing his tune Rocket all summer last year and that was from Bandcamp. I know Casey Spillman, he had Martinez Brothers, etc. playing his tunes from that Flavor series. I think the Bandcamp whole ecosystem is a great way to test the waters and yeah. find out honestly yeah. if your tunes are any good because people won't part with 99p unless your tune's good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People won't part with 99p unless your tunes are good. <laughs> people will not part with 99p unless you <laughs> it's literally that it's like how much are you willing to pay the minimum amount that's yeah, always, what i'm willing to always. pay <laughs> always the minimum amount. <laughs> i've never left a tip ever <laughs> never never it's like no it's like look man this is hard-earned money you know what i mean in the music industry and it is hard-earned money always. as you know so the the yeah. next thing we touched on in our chat yesterday on uh whatsapp was about the not only underground, not necessarily scaling, it's the, on the bigger stages, some of these tunes that aren't mixed as well, not really working. And I'm sure you found this, and I have. If I'm on a lineup with a certain type of DJ, I know how they play, maybe more banging, uh, but still really good tunes, but they're kind of focusing on this more digital sound. I may play records and then they play their first tune. It may not even be that much of a good tune, but the way it's mixed, the fact it's digital, it then sounds like three times louder. The, the rumor erupts based off the the style of tune and the mix the sonics even yes. also yeah yeah so so what's yeah. your views on all that that kind of thing well look i you know uh i started learning the craft of djing on vinyl like many moons ago i uh, to be honest like like i haven't taken vinyl on tour with me for a number of years now i think the last time i took vinyl with me was probably around 2019 2018, 2019, around that time, usually because I would find that I'd arrive somewhere and it'd be really set up very badly. So much vibrations coming through, like just bad setups um, for vinyl. Um, and I would want to rely on that. And then precisely because of the reason that you just, you just said, um, because the digital files would just sound so much clearer, louder, um, better and it does make a difference you know like i heard that they artificially do that um at like certain for certain like edm acts like 
whoever warms up for them gets like 20 decibels less from the system. We've had conversations about about underground DJs. I'm sure we have back in the day about a certain DJ who wouldn't let a certain DJ play more banging before them. Not necessarily decibels, but told them to calm it down before before their set. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, that's that is the role of a warm up DJ is to not take the spotlight away from the headliner. Basically, I have this philosophy, like, I don't mind the warm up DJ playing bangers, basically, as long as they give me some room somewhere to go about 25 minutes before the end of a set. Play your last big tune 25 minutes before you finish and then start winding it down gradually over like five, six tunes. And then you hand over, like at a at a BPM and at a uh, at a pace and at a um, mood and vibe that allows the next person to then take it up again and have somewhere to go. Like the worst thing that like what I hate is like handing people handing over on a one thirty two BPM on the biggest tune they have. Like, that's gonna be my final tune. Like yeah. I've got to pull out the banger now. It's like you don't know your you don't know your job, mate. Yeah. On the flip side, though, I think what people don't talk about enough is when people go too warm up and then you yeah. come on and there's no vibe in the room. The crowd are the crowd are into it. It's like, oh, that was a great warm up. Oh, the room's not even warm. The room's actually still cold. And then, yeah. and you've come on and it's like, OK, we're at square one here. People aren't even dancing. They're stood still. So I guess when people talk about the art of the warm up DJ, I think it's a bit cringe sometimes and people go yeah. a bit too into it. But there is there is an art to it. And it's I think sometimes people should give it a bit more welly from experience, but it's trying to find that that middle ground of enough energy in the room so you can go on and really do your thing without having to, otherwise you're warming up prettily. You're trying to get the crowd going. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm with you on that. Like, this is why I said, I don't mind warm-up DJs playing bangers, you know? As long as you leave me somewhere to go when you hand over. Like, don't hand over on the most energetic tune that you have you know that you want the one that you've been saving to play like play that like 15 minutes before you hand over and then hand over you know like i mean the whole vinyl versus digital debate is there's so much great music that's still that's vinyl only vinyl only you know like like i told you you know yesterday trying to get a hold of this tune and you know it's limited press vinyl and you know i respect that because it takes a lot of love and also belief in in your art to go out and create a physical product you're not going to press like people put out all kinds of shite on digital but for vinyl you've got to really think is is it worth it you know like it's a it's a commitment it's a risk it's going to cost you money so the the, the quality of music tends to be higher but also as you said so not the quality the creativity of the music tends to be higher it's two different things what i did find is that a lot of it sometimes lacks in the quality and the sonics, basically. And then when you're playing on bigger stages, it's just like, well, that's not going to work here, you know? Yeah, it's that really it's that really weird paradox of this underground sound. What makes a lot of the magic is the DIY bedroom mix. It kind of keeps it underground. But I found myself before, I've made a really cool groove that fits this kind of philosophy that I have about digging. And then I've got it mixed by an engineer, for example, and they've mixed it super, super tight and pumping. And then it actually lost that kind of edge that it had before. But now it would sound great on a big stage. But then if you press it to vinyl and you played it with all your other old 90s records, it doesn't actually work. It would have fitted better with the 90s records when it was that quick mix on the fly, bounce, done. And here's the thing about the 90s records, you know, like there's there's so many gems of tunes from, from back then. But like I quite often would like get the tune 
and then re-record it with like 5 dB a headroom and then recompress it and master it again myself just to, to get it to up to 0 dB, you know? Like, you know, like sometimes you can get like, um, like for example, like some, some old Mr. G tunes, right? You can get them on like B-Port and you can see the waveform is actually like tiny, yeah, yeah. you know, like compared to like, you know, tunes that have come out recently because they're at like minus five, minus six dB. I would actually buy those tunes and then put them through my mastering chain and recompress them just to get them up to level. When we're talking about technology now, right now, there are already no excuses anymore for bad mixes because everybody can now get Sonarworks. Have you got it? I've not, but I've got a very well acoustically treated studio, but we spoke about this as well years ago. Let's, um, let's fill in the listeners about what Sonarworks is. So Sonarworks is a room EQ um, and software that comes with a measuring microphone. It's a very clever bit of technology. So what it does is the microphone will triangulate between your speakers and your listening position, a uh, a series of beeps and bleeps and signals. The software will figure out where the microphone is in the room and it will tell you, move it up, move it left, move it right. So you get a cloud of measuring points of about like 100 measuring points in your exact position where you sat, where your head is basically, right? And then it basically calculates an EQ curve for your room where it says like your room has a little bit more bass at 50 hertz or it has a whole of minus 60 dB at like, you know, 1000 hertz. So you get like this crazy kind of EQ curve. Um, and then what it'll do, it'll calculate an EQ setting that will give you a perfectly flat room i would just recommend that you look into it i think there's a demo version uh, you can't use a demo version because you actually need the measuring need the mic, mic yeah yeah but like um but um i would just highly recommend it because my room is treated and it's treated well but no room treatment unless you're spending hundreds of thousands to getting it perfect right will ever get you a perfectly flat EQ curve. And the revelation that you have when you, for the first time, you listen to your records in a completely flat room with a flat EQ curve, you're like, oh my God, my mix is shit. (laughs) (laughs) Like, all of a sudden, you can just like hear everything. And it takes a little while to actually unlearn your room. Yeah, Um, that's my fear. That's my fear. Yeah. But but it takes takes about takes about a month I would say to unlearn your room with a new EQ. But then after that, there's no going back to previously. Like before, when you're mixing, it's trying to find something in a dark room and you got a candle, right? And sonar work is somebody just told you where the light switch is, right? So there's no guesswork anymore. You just know my mix is going to translate. If I mix it well here, it's going to translate everywhere. You know. Literally, laptop speakers, headphones, clubs, like, it's crazy. And have you been using that now for literally years? Years, yeah, yeah, since it first came out. Like, they're on, like, a, they're, like, on a updated version now that has even more features in it. I haven't updated it yet. Uh, Mav um, Janssen's told me about the updated version re- recently. So uh, I might just have to update, but I could just, I would just recommend it to anybody. And for the home producer, right, they have pre-calculated eq curves for pretty much every headphone manufacturer there is right so you think your studio headphones that you bought that cost like whatever 200 quid are actually flat they're not you know um 
they you can put the make in and then you can download a, a, a headphone curve like i think you've got like some akgs in your head right now these are the right ba- biodynamic dt biodynamics. oh yeah 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 i got i've got biodynamics actually yeah i got the uh yeah similar similar. DT, i've got the dt 880 pros here and they're not flat um there's an eq curve for those once you like and that one you can try out immediately i would suggest at least you do that right because um even if you haven't got the measuring mic, you can just download the EQ curve for your actual headphones. It'll make them completely flat, and then you can actually hear what your tunes actually sound like. You know, yeah. really amazing bit of technology. Yeah, it's been on my list for ages. Alfie Jack, he had the mic, so also I think you can use the mic twice. I think you can use. Yeah, you can use it. Yeah, like yeah. I've, I've I've lent my mic to to many people um that just bought the software basically. yeah yeah um so like they actually tell you to put in the mic uh serial number basically um and then um you can use it with that basically yeah so what else is new in the studio well what is new in the studio it's just been grafting like for the last six months really i've been putting in a lot of time i mean as you might know i put out an album last year i was really happy how that album did and how it was received it was very much a product of the pandemic. So it wasn't written for the club. I wanted to write an album that people would stream. And, you know, it streamed really well. Um, It was based around songwriting, stretching myself a little bit with working with singer-songwriters, writing something that's, you know, melodically complex. um, And, um, yeah, so after that was done and wrapped up, I was like, great, I'm now back to making club bangers. And that's what I've been doing. And is it feeling good? Oh, yeah, yeah, it feels great. And also, like, it feels good because I'm getting the support from the right people. I kind of felt like because of the album, it, the album, I feel the album confused people a little bit of what I stand for. And this is always just really important for every artist to have, like, a really clear vision of what it is that you stand for. You know, because on the album, I tried out many different styles of music that I'm not normally known for. Like, um, you know, I did a bit of French house. I did like some break beats, you know, um, I did some electro-y stuff. I feel that's confused people a little bit of what I stand for. Um, so for me, it was really important to just reconnect with the underground and do something that 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 reconnects with with my hardcore audience, you know, and the, the hardcore audience that I have is the diggers. It's just, you just need to go and look on Spotify. It's like, who do, who do they do? Um, the people that follow you also like basically, and you can just tell straight away. So what were the, what were some of the biggest lessons then from transitioning out of the album production mindset to back to the club bangers mindset? For club music, it was really just like, what am I playing at the moment? Like, what are the artists that I'm looking up to? Who do I think is smashing it in the studio? And whose music am I playing? You know, um, you know, who do I look up to as a producer? And what am I going to try to re- reproduce here? And then just putting that into practice. And the difficult part was just to come up with something or like develop new processes. Because I feel the last time I had a really amazing run with um releasing club music was quite a while back back when i was still doing vinyl and the music back then was just a lot more sparse less musical i mean i don't know if you listen to your records from like five six years ago like how little they're 
there's going on, like what from what what, what we did back then to what we're kind of doing now. But you know? there's a certain how- magic. There's a certain magic in that as well, and it's like. I sometimes think, how the hell did I actually make that? Because now my thought process would be different. I'd be like, right, I get to this point. Now I try and develop this element or do this or do that. But it was the kind mm. of lack of knowledge which made the magic happen in some of the older records. Totally. And it's also like coming up with like your own sound. And that's, you know, the first, that's really a magic process. Coming up with your own sound, you know, like when when you start delving away from, and we've talked about this at length from, um, from just in the box and software to buying quirky machines, you know, and learning them and then developing your sound out of that, basically. Like that's, that's, that's a magic process. Yeah. Yeah. It's that unique combination of tools, whether it be in the box or out the box. And I think that's why I encourage people to actually buy plugins. When you put some skin in the game and you don't just try and torrent every free plugin under the sun, you're going to have a unique combination of tools then. And when you stick to them tools, that's how you can craft a sound. If every time you open Ableton, you've cracked a new delay, you've cracked a new synth, a new VST, and every single time it's different instruments and etc. One, you're probably not going to learn any of them in depth. And two, it could just be a bit wild. And if you kind of limit yourself to some tools, limitations forces creativity. Totally. I like 100%. I'm with you on that. And also, it's like, you know, if you don't limit yourself, it, it actually takes quite a long time to actually learn an instrument. I don't think I have even scratched the surface of what's possible with a lot of the groove boxes that I've got sitting around here, you know, because they're just a ball to program. The, the <laughs> manuals are just like horrendous from back in the days, you know. And like, if I can get like a couple of nice synth lines out that'll of them, do. like I'm happy, that'll you know, do. that'll do. <laughs> do you know how to program those things properly? Like, no, I don't. Like, I don't think anybody really knows how to program a 303. No, <laughs> I just make a few sounds, then buy another one. <laughs> yeah, but that's it. You know, like make a couple of records with it, like get some signature sounds out of it and then like start digging for something else, you know? So what's your um, team looking like these days behind uh, the scenes? Because I know... You were working with label manager for a bit, were you? Is that still the case? Yeah, yeah. I still have uh, Nick Harris, who's an amazing label manager. And he's got a team itself. So he doesn't just look after my label. He looks after a number of labels. He's got a team and he's very proficient. And, you know, he does everything from, you know, like calculating royalties to the social media side of things. I, I still did that until like recently and then like i'd be like oh shit like there's a record coming out like i'm sure there's a record coming out like this friday (laughs) like i've got to upload clips and stuff like that and like i think once i like i missed the release date of a record and i just felt horrendous for the artist because i had missed uploading the clips in time because i was touring i was in the air and i was like okay this has got to stop. Everybody deserves that their releases get treated like a priority and that things are done properly. And I just have to spend that extra money for for uh, Nick to also do the social media. And he takes care of all of that now. So that's great. I just find the music now. Yeah, well, me and Kurt had a conversation today because we're speaking all things agency, you and me, etc. And, and our next steps is he's actually my agent. And the, the label got brought up in conversation. And I did say to him, for this next level of scalability for the label, we need a label manager at some point because if we want to bring artists in, then the whole royalty thing comes into play and the the even just making them stupid videos, the spinning thingy, like when that's there, I'm like, oh God, I've got to sort this out. I'm trying to do that and then run run the marketing campaign for the releases. But it's hard, isn't it? Because it feels more personal when you're doing it and talking to the artists, et cetera. But to try and do one release a month, 
whilst playing gigs and everything else is quite hard to to do properly i would say as long as like you break even with like a, a label manager and it's not costing you money basically it's worth it because it actually allows you to scale and actually make more money and nick is amazing like i'm just gonna blow nick's <laughs> trumpet here and go like nick's an amazing fucking manager he's encouraged me to do stuff that i wasn't thinking of before he goes like hey let's do a youtube channel and like let's be more active here and let's grow our own like um our own mailing list and like you know he's just very active and he's worth every penny so i highly recommend it yeah so is he just managing the label or managing you as an artist as well or is it a bit of an overlap no he's just managing the label i have an actual manager that manages me as an artist as well so if we're talking about my wider team um like beyond the label now it's um quite a few people now so it's four agents so one agent for south america and spain one agent for uh, the US, one agent for Australia and Asia, and one agent for Europe and rest of the world. Yeah. And um, I've recently just changed agency. I've literally, uh, I can reveal, actually, that's going to be revealed. Um, probably by the time you're going to air this, it's going to be already done um, that I've moved to NGE. Yeah. I mean, NGE is like a, a behemoth now, aren't they? They're like, a, is. they've just hoovered up, hoovered up like so many people who are sort of part of, of of house music in the uk and worldwide yeah so what have you got to look forward to the rest of this year so i'll be playing print works later this month supporting hot since 82 that's sold out part of uh the last run of shows at print work which is a big one is for it? Me to tick off <laughs> they'll be doing another yeah, one of shows it? next yeah. year yeah. <laughs> every time i say that it's part of the last run of shows everybody goes is yeah it? but is it <laughs> Is it really I'm not actually? For it. I want to play before it shuts. Until I play, it's not <laughs> yeah. shutting. It might well not be shutting. I mean, I hope it stays open. I wouldn't hold it against them if they do artificial they scarcity. Run. Yeah, it's like it's the last run, guys. We promise. It's like no. Well, apparently, if this is the last run, and I'm part of it, so you know that's that's one to tick off. You know, I've, as I've I've literally just changed agency, so. There's more stuff coming up in South America. There's more stuff up coming across Europe. Um, you know, started recently uh, uh, working with Defected. I'll be releasing on the label, hopefully this year as well. Um, already did their broadcasting house uh, podcast for them and played a show for them in Cardiff. So there's going to be some stuff for Defected this summer. Making strategic moves also um, with like with labels that I've always aspired to, you know, so I'm going to be working with East Enders. Uh, I'm going to have a release on there. I'm going to be working with Archie on microhertz. I'm going to be working with PIV. I'm going to be working, um, hopefully with Locus. If, uh, if Enzo actually finally designed something of mine, <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I've been, there. oh mate, it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. He's a, he's a hard man to please, but he's got high standards. So it's a good thing, you know, sounds like a good year, man. Are you still, um, yogaring? Uh, you know what? I've actually given up on the yoga because I've injured my knees during yoga um, about a year and a half ago. And like, I'm still, that knee is still giving me trouble. So like, um, I'm, I'm in the gym four times a week, like lifting weights. Um, but um, yeah, not, not, not so much yogaing anymore. Yeah. Well, Ben, I think that has been a great chat. Anything else to add? I think we've covered uh, some is good the stuff. Hour, is the hour already over? We've done 40 minutes, but I mean, if you've got any other hot topics, I would love to continue. TikTok, yes, you're exploring TikTok media. with me. What, what's what's the latest? Because you picked my brains and I've not seen any Ben Rao TikToks yet um, doing any dances. So what's going on? 
I don't know anybody in our, our industry, uh, and I'm talking like more underground house, and like that's a weird definition because we're going to confuse listeners here. We mean like kind of more accessible underground. No, no, because like I, I would still consider massively successful people as underground house, right? So I would still consider like the Martinez brothers or Michael Beebe as underground house because it's not music that you find in charts. But that you know does I mean? scale. Like, that does scale. It has a massive audience worldwide. We all know that, right? But still, like it's not the kind of music. It's not like you know what I mean. There's like people like Diplo right who are like doing house but he you know has uh gazillions of streams you know hundreds of millions of streams but then also i would you could argue that people like fisher or chris lake have now crossed over to that level as well because they have like four five hundred million streams a track which is pop music territory you know which is bonkers actually you know um it's the kind of numbers that like yeah like major label pop music acts will have so like it's always hard to define where house underground house starts and ends. What I was meaning to say is that I haven't really seen anybody in underground house properly crack TikTok. I know Diblo's cracked TikTok. Like he's got like two point five million followers. But he's actually quite funny and he's putting I think obviously he has a team that will help him coming up with these ideas. You know, he's not going to be thinking about, oh, what can I TikTok today? He'll have a team that film him and and they'll think of things to do. But it's quite funny and it's always a little narrative to it. You know, you'll always go like, hey, went to this gig, met this dude. He was like having a crazy outfit on and he was doing X, Y, Z. And like, it's always like a little story. And that kind of seems to work. But the whole thing of like, I'm posting a video of myself at a gig and like I'm posting a 20 second video of the drop of a track and it goes off. That just, that's not going to work, is it? No, it requires more personality. But what I have found is... My life was quite peaceful until I started doing TikTok. I've been called all sorts. It opens yourself up to a whole toxic environment as well. I don't know what it is about TikTok. But really? Honestly, I've been called all sorts. I've been called a chopper. Um, honestly, they're just like random stuff. And at first I was like, that wasn't a nice thing to say. And now I'm just like, oh, it's just a reflection of themselves. But it's it's kind of funny. I've just found when I've kind of maybe pushed the boundaries a bit too much with what I'm posting, maybe just a bit daft stuff or maybe out the lane a bit it seems to then give people permission then just to kind of try and chop you down and it's like wait what, what, what were the comments about were they like along the lines of like you're selling out no like, is no it like, i think it, more was just, it the too was it the too cool too cool for school sort of i'm not uh, too sure really crowd or I, I don't really know I, I can't think off the top of my head now like what some of the comments were it, just just like daft stuff um twitter's not too far too dissimilar either T- twitter seems super toxic at the moment um, <laughs> yeah like yeah, there's there's yeah. tons of stories from there, but yet uh, TikTok's weird. Like there's, it's the only platform I've seemed to have seen people just. Well, it's it's, it's trolls, isn't it? Like it's open a, a known thing that TikTok just has people that just seem to hide behind the screen yeah. and, and chop people down. But um, yeah. I think you need to have a thicker skin on there. Whereas Instagram seems to be quite smooth, unless you run paid ads <laughs> and you get the odd guy giving you some grief on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like that rarely, rarely happens, you know, um, like, look, I mean, social media is like the bane of my existence, you know, like, I know it's necessary, but I just hate dedicating time and creativity and thought to it so much because it's just like a black hole that just sucks up your energy. And it, you know, it does give back, you know, like, I'm not, I'm not all negative about it because being in direct contact with the people that love your music is invaluable, 
um, with no filter. And the amount of times that when you posting a clip from the studio and you're getting people like replying to the stories, how that gives you a buzz, you know, and spurs you on in your creativity and, and, you know, that's invaluable. But at the same time, I think, oh my God, like, do I really want to spend like, you know, every day thinking about how I can feed this monster? Yeah, yeah. What you said there, uh, it gives you a direct response if something's good. I think that's one great thing about about posting these clips of the music. I know when I post something, how many likes is kind of like a... I know how many likes I can get anyway, but I know how many likes if something's actually good. Like, okay, that clip was good. That track must be good because I, I can tell. I'm like, there's a few replies, a few comments, and it's quite good because you can, you know, instead of spending six months getting a track mixed down, off of pressing, off of this, off of that, to then find out no one's bought the fucking tune, I can find out quite quickly now if I make an idea, to put it on Instagram, do a little video if it's if it's any good. But what I do find bizarre is aspiring artists who purely just hate on it because it's now made the barriers to entry so much lower the fact you can take matters into your own hands and build a narrative around what you're trying to create and i've spoke to pretty much everyone about this thing on the podcasts but as artists at the top i get why they're bothered because this is now giving so many opportunities to upcoming artists to come and knock them off their top spot and they've got to try and stay current and i get why a lot of people you know we've spoken about this before as well that people that didn't keep up with the trends and you know they didn't move to instagram or they didn't start playing this or playing that not that you should conform with your sound but people that kind of got stuck in the past and didn't evolve with time irrelevant all of a sudden overnight yeah, became irrelevant yeah we spoke i can't remember what platform it was um i think it was just the whole i think it was the move from facebook to, to insta wasn't it that we, we we talked about you know like what what you know what what does wind me up and i've got to be really careful here because it's a small industry and you can't be calling out names but there's a whole new level of instagram djs influencer djs basically who came up not as people that produce music or dj but they they are first and foremost instagram influencers grew a massive following of that and then they're building dj careers as a secondary or then primary source of income off the back of that and these people are getting put on lineups on serious lineups i've been on lineups with them and i'm just asking myself like i get it why promoters do it they're like i've got to sell tickets you know this person's got a million followers i'm gonna put that person on a lineup it's disheartening to see that people put in 10, 15 years into building their craft and adding to the body of what electronic music and house music is, adding to the culture, and then you get somebody who's just an influencer. Yeah. And they'll they'll be put on the same lineup and get probably paid more money. You know, that, that winds me up. Yeah, to be honest, in the gigs I play, I've not really encountered that, but I do know the, the type you mean. But for me, my approach is just always like, it doesn't affect me. I can't change it. And I just kind of get over it and just, I just know that the tools that they use are also at my disposal and try and make use of them in the best way possible, which can help build me. <clears throat> Whereas I know like that's some, a really positive, that's a very positive attitude to have towards it. I think I so, man. But like, I yeah. don't, I, honestly, I don't see the game when people go to me like, oh, slag someone else off. I'm just like, like, bro, it's not going to help you. Just go and fucking make some yeah. choice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, yeah, I mean, like... I get it, you know no, I get it, I get it. But it's just wasted energy. You've nailed it, right? And, like, actually, like, oh, I know something that I want to talk about, like, because this is, this is another game changer, actually. Um, um, remember um, uh, how the War of Art was, like, I do, the Bible? Yeah, yeah. The Bible for the person that wants to live a creative life, yep. right? 
So I've come across something new, which is also very, very powerful. Powerful along those lines. Um, have you watched the movie Stuts on um, Netflix? No. Is this the one where he's talking to the psychiatrist? Jonah Hill is yes. talking to his therapist. Yes, that's yeah. it. Therapist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I've Jonah Hill... It. I've not seen it, but I've, yeah. seen, I've seen it on Netflix and, and I read the thing and it sounds interesting. Watch that and also get the book. So um, Phil Stutz, the person that the movie is about, um, has written a book called The Tools, right? And he gives you these tools, which are actually quick visualizations that you can do in your own head with your closed eyes that can very quickly change your mind state. And the reason why I'm talking about this now is because I just talked about something that he says in the movie and in the book is a situation where you should use one of the tools. So like, um, you know, I was just telling to you, oh, it pisses me off about influencer DJs, blah, 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 blah. And like he calls that being stuck in the maze. So sometimes things in life are unfair, right? You can't do anything about that. Unfair shit happens to you. Somebody else is going to get a show, although you're more deserving, whatever. Like all sorts of injustices can happen in life. And that then going around your head and wasting time and energy thinking about that and um, having that negative energy, he calls that the maze, being stuck in the maze. And people can spend years in the maze. Their lives in the maze. Lives in the maze, thinking about injustices that happen to them, basically, right? And what it does is stops you from moving forward in life and being positive and creating something. And he has a very simple tool that he that you can use to 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 stop obsessing about a certain person, about a certain injustice. And that's just one of the tools that he teaches. There's other tools that he has for um, getting yourself to work. Uh, there's tools for creativity. It's really, really a wonderful body of work and a book that I highly recommend uh, to anybody. I mean, if you're, if you're on your beginner level, you better best off start with the work of uh, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. But this is the advanced level shit. Once you, uh, <laughs> once you, level once you gone past that level yeah. two, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like this maze idea, and that, uh, an example I can give is when people talk to me about, you know, this whole like gatekeeping. How do you get access to DJs? How do you send them demos? I'm like, listen, pal. If you're on the plane tomorrow next to Jamie Jones, and you've got two hours next to him, here's your time to shine. Show him all your tracks in your laptop. Are the tracks even ready? Uh, well, I've got like one on SoundCloud, uh, but I've not made much music this year. I'm like. You're worrying about not having these opportunities to meet him, meet him, meet him. Oh, it's all about gatekeeping, da, 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 da. But the actual thing, the music isn't even ready yet. And it's like, get out of worrying about that and worry about the things you can control and make the music as good as possible. Stick them on Bandcamp. The free market will tell you they're great. Jamie Jones will see the link on Bandcamp. And then when you're on the play next to him, you say, hey, Jamie, you downloaded my track, you know, and you played it at a festival. Here's the video. Oh, hi, mate. Nice one. Send me some more tunes. You, mate like you've nailed it and it's like to move forward in life and to be positive and to worry less about the conditions and what it takes to make it than the actual work like like put put the actual steps in place of what it takes to be a successful person work on those things every day and magic will happen i guarantee you that opportunities will come yeah it's if you put the hard work in then when the opportunity arises that's how you become lucky but if the opportunity arises and you've not done the hard work you can't then take the opportunity and then you remain unlucky because oh right place right time etc timing is so important unfortunately but if you don't do the work then the timing can never be a factor that helps your success when i look back at my career the last 10 years meeting kurt launching syntho so many things without the timing it wouldn't have worked 
But if I hadn't been ready at each point in that journey, then the timing would have been irrelevant. Um, and I've, I'm aware of that. And it's kind of like, oh, you, ha- you can get lucky. But yes, luck can be created yourself as well by being prepared and not in the maze. There's a, there's, there's a beautiful saying where they say um, luck is when opportunity meets preparation. Yeah, that's it. That's the exact thing I'm trying to and, get at. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's so true. It's like you, 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 you're prepared and then at some point you get an opportunity and then that's what you call being lucky. You know, you get your lucky break. And also like, and I think you have a unique perspective on it because you work a lot through your Sinfo platform with people who aspire to be artists and to make a career out of music. Um, the people that have made it basically are always looking for new talent because without new talent, this industry dies. We're always looking for new artists to sign. We're always looking for new music to play. So it's not actually something that you have to be afraid of, that it's not going to happen. Like if you start making waves and you start creating on a regular basis and you put this music out there, your opportunity will come. It and will. somebody will just come find you. People yeah. want, we want to book new talent. We want new names. Yeah. We want people that pull tickets, that sell tickets, mm. sorry. Um, and mm. that's something that you develop through demand, you know, releasing great music, posting good content, etc. Anyone can do it. But, you know, it's that self-fulfilling prophecy that we spoke about before, that if you tell yourself, oh, you know, that happened to him, that happened to him, then you start to believe it as well. And it's like, oh, it only happens to this kind of person. But it's so weird because I remember speaking to you when we first met, I, it was so far away getting paid to play gigs, but it's just that one step in front of the other continually over long periods of time. And everyone's problem is not really like hard work in the short term. It's the hard work over the long term. And it's better to find something that's sustainable, you know, make music for two hours every other day. Whereas most people, they'll do like one big session on a Saturday and then not open able to for six months and they'll come back at it. I know so many people and it's like every few months do the same thing. You know, they wake up, the have the cold shower go for the run go to the gym sit down this is the day i'm gonna make music every single day i'm gonna become a dj they do it for a week and they stop and then they you know wait two months and start again look man it's actually quite simple like the people who are smashing it are very consistent in their work ethic they just don't slip up at all and the people who disappear after three or four years are the people that thought they made it and then, you know, take their, their f- foot of a gas pedal. It's really interesting because, as I said, I've just moved agency. My new agent is Luke Passmore. Uh, and Luke's got um, Darius and Fleur Shaw, who you recently talked to, and East End Dubs. Um, you know, it's a bunch of really good artists that, um, you know, I, I like, look up to, um, whose music I play, uh, who inspire me. And Luke was just asking me about my release schedule. And, you know, luckily I could tell him, you know, look, I'm, you know, I'm a grafter and my release schedule is going to be stacked this year. And he says, like, good, because everybody who's smashing it is on my roster had four to five releases last year. So it's simple as that. This is a conversation I referred to on the Fleur podcast. If you look at historically, Adam Bayer, all these big artists, they've been doing... We've four- always... Adam Bayer, me and you. Adam yeah. Bayer. 20 years, bro. We've, Four years. 20 years. Been, 20 years. 20 years has missed. Yeah. You know? But th- this concept That's- that I'm speaking about a bit recently with people is what got you here won't get you there. This doesn't necessarily mean releases. It means strategy. So for me, for example, where I am now, I'm sat in this kind of position in the market where... I'm playing quite a lot of gigs now. I've got a lot of bookings. But if I want to get to that Ibiza level, you know, the where, say, Chris Dussy is now, it takes a different level of strategy of where you place yourself with releases, the style of content you post, or 
it might not all be thought out like this by everyone, but what got you here won't get you there. Things require difference. You know, the the hard work that got me here was quite a lot of persistence, you know, to, to the grindstone, just smashing tunes out. But now it might be like, right, I need to try and tailor my sound a bit and try and place a release there, place a release here, <clears throat> put a mix on this label. 100%. and get a feature with that magazine, that interview, blah, blah. 100%. And it's also like, like it's literally strategizing. At different levels, take different strategizing. Like you've smashed like the 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 first level of basically making music your life um, and being able to live with what you do, right? Like what you've done with the Sinfo platform, what you've done with your events, what you've done with your DJing career is something that is not very easily reproduced. You've smashed it on multiple levels, right? But where I see you going next and, you know, wanting to, to, as you said, like going to the Ibiza level, going to the festival level. And Chris is a really good example here, you know, because we've, we've watched the cry, rise of Chris. We talked about him yesterday. He's just done everything right. He's an outstanding DJ. He goes the extra mile um, in terms of digging for music. You can just tell in a set because you don't know those tunes. You know, it's either own productions, productions of friends. It's all tunes that he's dug for. Like he goes the extra mile. You can tell he goes the extra mile, you know. He's gone the extra mile as a producer. I know his productions from when I first started playing his music to what is now. And it's very complex and sophisticated now. Like it's it's high level shit. And then the right strategic decisions of like what labels to release on. You know, counterintuitive as well, because arguably you could say like you could have it easier by releasing on one of the bigger platforms um say you know you do something with jamie on hot creations and then he'll give you a platform but he's just released on sort of smaller cooler labels and now all of the bigger brands just book him anyway because yeah it's that positioning and he's and you position yourself in a place where you can touch the underground touch there and and go to various places so yeah i've got the utmost respect for chris i think what he's done is insane from the music to the way he puts content out his positioning between the underground and more commercial stuff i think we're watching a future legend uh, blossom yeah yeah Flaw- flawless uh, flawless flawless execution i would absolutely agree with that we're watching a future legend definitely and um you know and humble guy humble guy uh, uh, as well which is which is great you know to see that you can um be that successful and uh, stay true to yourself yeah Totally. So Ben, I think we've dropped some bombs there, this last little section. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm happy with that. Um, like uh, hours and hours should be over by now, right? Yeah. So uh, what's planned today? Some music? Yeah, man. Like I'm getting stuck into finishing an EP. Like uh, I've just uh, finished a remix yesterday. It's a funny thing with me, you know, like, do you get this thing? I just want to ask this as the last question. When you finish a tune, can you start with a new tune straight away? Or do you always... Like I always need like a day. I almost like I listen to the tune that I finished over and over again. It's almost like you've given birth to like a, this new thing and you're like, oh my God, look at my baby. Yeah. It's amazing. And then like, I can only move on after a day. I get what you mean. However, a really good hack is, I can't have heard this. It's like when you're reading a book, it's always a good idea to try and start the next chapter if you're trying to build a habit of going back to it. Because once you start something new, it's kind of ingrained in your brain. Whereas if you finish a chapter or finish a song, you're at square one. But while the juices are flowing or you're quite interested, it's a very good idea to try and get yourself into that next zone. So then you're not starting from scratch again. So with reading, for example, if you kind of wait to the end of the chapter, you're at this point where it's like, right, I'm starting from scratch again. I know it may sound a bit counterintuitive, but 
it makes sense in my head that when there's a blank project the next day, you're like, oh, but if you that evening for the last half an hour, right, let's just have a little go. And the next day you come in and it's not a blank slate then. So that might be something to try just before you leave. Say, right, 30 minutes, I'm just going to try and create a new sketch. And the next day you're on a new page, something new to go at, and it stops you that kind of power. that's actually what i did yesterday yeah yeah that's what i did yesterday like i didn't do not uh what i did yesterday is it's not world changing i just put like down like the beat and like and a, a cool vocal sample that i'm going to use in the next track basically so that's just like i've got something now and now i've got to develop an idea around that basically yeah yeah i think it's a good little tactic so ben thank you very much for your time hopefully we'll cross paths thanks for having me bro it's been too long but um yeah, keep yeah. sending some new tunes and we'll have to get another one but in a few months when things develop. Nice one. <laughs> nice one. Nice one. All right. See you, man. Done and dust it. See you, bro. Thank you very much for watching. Do not forget to like, comment, subscribe if you're on YouTube. Please rate it five stars if you're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm not sure what you do. Also, don't forget to check out the Syntho app. The link will be attached to wherever you are. If you're a producer, stop waiting to join the community. It's the one place to be if you want to improve your skills and that is inside Syntho. Thank you very much for listening and I will see you all next week.